Thank you. Um, if you don't know me or if I haven't met you, my name is Jeff. My job here at SCUM is to look after the morning church. And uh, I'm going to talk to you guys a little bit tonight about the fourth week of Advent. But I'd like to start by stepping away from that. Um, let's start with prayer, because it is no small thing to handle the word of God. Uh, Father, please open our hearts to, uh, to hear what you would have to say. Please let your word stir up in us an anticipation of, of your coming. And though we know it's just an observance, uh, but let it be a very real and tangible thing that causes joy uh, in our hearts and a joy that... Uh, is open to you and a joy that is open to your people. Have mercy upon us and help us. Amen. All right. Okay. Okay. I'm going to step away for it for just one more minute. Um, I wore this partly because it's comfortable, but partly because there's a point to it. Let's see how many people recognize this. We've had like, you know, what, four inches of snow total. So is it really coming? We know it's supposed to be, but is it? That's the kind of, you know, mnemonic device here that you got to think is going to pay off later in the sermon. Maybe. <laughs> so let's start by thinking back away. I'm supposed to be on the mic. Um, let's start by thinking back a ways, uh, or maybe it's a ways, maybe it's actually tonight or tomorrow night, when you knew that you were getting something really cool for Christmas. And, and you knew what it was, and you could look under the tree, and you could see the box all wrapped up, and you knew what it was. And you also knew what kind of trouble you would be in if you went for it early. And you just stare at it, and if you're like me, you poke at it, maybe shake it and think about how cool it's going to be. So is that, is that you this year, or is that you years ago? What still is me. I'm the guy that comes up and squeezes my stocking and tries to make out what's in it. And since my wife isn't hearing this until after Christmas, I'm not going to be in trouble. So, <laughs> until next year, and then I'm, I'm done. Um, when was the last time that you were really, really made to wait? Just wait, and there's nothing you can do about it. Has anybody been in the military? You know what hurry up and wait is? <laughs> hurry up and wait means it has to be done right now, and then you're going to sit there. Um, there was this time, uh, this is back in the spring of 1994, uh, my unit was out in the deserts of New Mexico, near White Sands. We were out there for a bloody month, right, with hot meals and hot showers coming about once a week. And, uh, and it wasn't all bad, uh, but it was time to go home, and it was hurry up and wait. We have to get to this area they call a pad where all of our trucks and our equipment are going to be loaded up onto trains and taken back to Fort Hood, Texas, and we were going to get on these coach buses, and, you know, and it would be great. And we're all stinky on these coach buses, but, you know, we're still going home. 
So we get there, get up at, you know, 3.30 in the morning or whatever it was to get all of our 150 people and all the crap that comes with that to this loading zone. And we get there and we park and it's probably 8 or 9 in the morning at this point. And then we're there for 30 hours. We're sitting there for 30 hours. Um, we can't leave. I have a truck that carries the lieutenant, so I have all of these radios, this top secret equipment, our rifles, um, and the lieutenant's off. He's off doing his own thing. And there I am. I can't leave. I can't even leave to like go to the bathroom, right? So I have an empty apple juice bottle, which almost got me in trouble when the lieutenant came back and says, "Oh, you have apple juice? Yeah. <laughs> Hurry up and wait." We just sat there forever, and we're beginning to lose hope because every now and then it would come along and be like, hey, okay, no, we're getting ready to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. No, it didn't happen. Right. So it took 30 hours to get that thing going. That's like, you know, a day and some change. What's the longest time you've ever had to wait for something that you've ever had to sit there and wait intensely for something um, should be easy to conjure up, you know, if it was something really, really huge. Should be there. We're in the fourth week of Advent here, uh, as we are observing the season of Advent. We've been going through our Advent guide and looking at different figures along the way. The waiting and the anticipation coming of Emmanuel. It's what this season is about. And like I said in the prayer, it's not like we're literally anticipating the physical appearance of, of Jesus again. I mean, not in that sense, right? Um, and through this season, we've had a look at different persons um, in the story of Jesus through Joseph and Mary. And uh, tonight, we're going to be looking at a, a priest named Zechariah. But tonight is going to be a little bit of a prequel in a certain way, because the person we're looking at tonight is not directly tied to Jesus. He's more kind of like one step removed, right? It's a little bit of a prequel. Tonight's message isn't necessarily about Jesus. I bet you never thought you'd hear that in a Christmas message. So we're going to go back a little bit, say, to 450 B.C., I told you it was a bit of a prequel. And we're going to go into the time of Nehemiah, Nehemiah the prophet, the book of Nehemiah. This is about a hundred years or so after the return from Babylon, after the exile has been over. We've come back to Israel. We've rebuilt the temple. And uh, it's going in full vigor. The priesthood is, is blowing and going again. And there's some things that are not quite right. There's something that's missing here. The people are starting to doubt. They came back from exile and there was much rejoicing. Hey. But that's waning. It has waned. Past tense. There seems to be this idea that there was going to be a bit of a golden age when we returned from exile. This idea that things were going to be great. Still out there lingering is the promise of Messiah, which hasn't happened yet. A golden age coming, and when the people, and when this didn't happen, the people in Israel began to lose faith. They began to intermarry with their neighbors again. All this stuff got them in trouble in the first place. 
starts to creep back in because the waiting has been too long. Even the priests have become lax, starting to become corrupt, starting to be kind of meh, whatever. Um, And you know, there was this tradition, right, associated with the Jewish priesthood, and it may be more than tradition, it's probably fact, that if you were the priest that was up, that was chosen by lots on your time of service to go into the Holy of Holies and do the incense and the prayers, that they would tie this bell rope to your foot, to your ankle. And so as long as you're moving around, you get the little jingle bells, right? So they know that you're moving around because what had happened was when you go into the Holy of Holies, if the Lord has ought with you, that's it. And when the bells stop moving, the people on the outside know to pull your lifeless carcass out and do with it what they did. Um, I would imagine that a hundred years progressing into a season of doubt, um, that initially there was quite a lot of use for this bell rope. But I wonder if after such a time, the idea that God had left us and that God was silent and God really wasn't going to come through, um, if that began to happen less and less because they just don't believe anymore. God isn't holy anymore. And so it's just a thought on my part. I thought I would throw out there for grins. So there was no golden age. And there remained a promise of Yahweh coming to dwell with his people. Of Yahweh coming to tabernacle with his people. And the weight of the weight began to deaden hearts. And that's where we're going to pick it up from the Bible itself. The book is Malachi. It's this little short book put at the end of, you know, how we arrange the Old Testament in our English version Bibles. It's right there at the end. Malachi means simply messenger. It's a short, sharp rebuke of the priesthood of the day. And it directly preceded 400 years of silence. No prophets, no angels, no anything. 400 years, maybe more, of nothing. And talk about becoming impatient. So, as if the people already weren't spiritually meh, you can get an idea, maybe, of what it was like, you know, come the time of Christ. What it was like in the temple at the time of Christ. You... And not, not everybody, to be sure. But generally speaking, you had a priesthood that was kind of meh. And people that did it as tradition, but we're not really meh. So right there at the end of Malachi, at the end of this very, very short, pointed slap on the wrists, you have this. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming and the great before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Uh, the word terrible there, think awesome. Think Not necessarily terrible like, ah, but think awesome. More like awesome that you can't describe awesome. You know, trembling is the, con- is the idea that you get from that. Like, I am overwhelmed. The great and awesome day of the Lord. And he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children. And the hearts of children to their fathers. 
And that's it. And there's a little more to that verse, but. And that's it. In silence. And we jump forward um, about 400, maybe 450 years, until we land to about a year and a half before the birth of Christ and a priest named Zacharias. Zacharias, um, by contrast, and I think it's a deliberate contrast on the part of Luke. When we first meet him, he's describing Zacharias and his wife as righteous people, as upstanding people who followed the commandments of the Lord. This is a priest and his wife. Um, And thinking back to kind of what the priesthood had descended into about 450 years ago, I think that that's a very profound thing. And I think that, as we'll see a little bit later, that's a key. One of the pieces that are important in seasons of waiting. So Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth, are upstanding people. They love the Lord their God. They follow his commandments. But they had no child. And they were well on in years. And if you know the history of that time, if you were well on in years and had no child, then well, there's something wrong with you. God doesn't like you. You are something to be snickered at and pointed at as you walk by. Um, And so they've got this on them. And you can imagine being upright people who followed after the Lord, that there's probably years and years and years of prayers to the Lord to deliver us from this contempt, deliver us from the shame of not having children. And he never did. That prayer was never answered, and yet they continued to serve the Lord faithfully and uprightly. Um, So the story really picks up one day, about a year and a half before Christ. Zechariah is on his week of service, and uh, it was his lot to go into the Holy of Holies and to burn incense before God. And everyone outside... Um, is outside saying the prayers, and it's the grand spectacle that's going on. And in comes Zechariah with his little jingle bells on. I got ahead of myself. In comes Zechariah, and this is where we're going to pick it up in verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him in the Holy of Holies, this priest. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. Probably quite naturally, nobody had seen or heard from anything supernatural in 400 years. And then, bam, here's an angel. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. These prayers that for decades you thought were unanswered, they have been heard. You and your wife, Elizabeth, will, you, your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And you will call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he was born. He will bring many 
of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I'm going to stop there for a minute. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar? Better believe it's familiar. As a priest, he would recognize this on two levels. One, he would recognize it as a reference to the promise of the coming of Messiah, but also specifically to Malachi. He would know exactly what the angel was talking about, and there is no doubt. He also heard the angel say, the prayers that you have made for years and years have been answered. So it's kind of unthinkable that he did not, or what he seems, that he did not make the connection of the Messiah prophecy and that the angel was specifically referring to Malachi. Yes, he did get this. And this is the thing, that Israel has been waiting and waiting and waiting for the coming of Messiah. And, hey, this begins with you, dude. This is beginning now with you. And your prayers have been answered. You are the vehicle through which this entire thing is going to kick off. That's a lot going on. So how would you respond to that? It would be like this. Hey, your real daddy was Bill Gates, and on his deathbed, he named you his heir. What are you going to do next? (laughs) It's kind of like that, but way better. Sadly, sometimes, the Lord has this affinity and this really way of going after our unbelief and going after the hard parts in our heart that are kind of crusted over from seeing prayers unanswered or maybe not answered the way that we were expecting them to be. And this is what's going on here. You get to verse 18. And after all of this amazing stuff, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. Now, that's not unfair. At least the second part, that's not unfair to ask. However, the first part of that, how can I be sure of this, is a clear reference to what sign will you give me that I will know this to pass? Dude, you're in the Holy of Holies, and the angel has just said that the Messiacal promise is going to come through you. It's kicking off with you. And you're saying, well, what sign? Do I look for? That's going to mean this is coming about. We go on to verse 19 and 20. And the clue, bless you, and the clue perhaps to how to wait more patiently when we come into our seasons of waiting. Verse 19, here's your sign, dude. And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news, this gospel. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, until this time. Because you did not believe the words which will come true at their appointed time. You wanted a sign. 
here's your sign. You're not going to be able to tell anybody about this. And now the scripture does say he went on and he, he gestured and, and he wrote and he probably did get this information out. But he couldn't tell anybody and that's weird. And people are saying, dude, out with it. And he can't because it's a sign. It's a sign on two levels. One, it's a sign to him against his disbelief. It's a very harsh sign against his disbelief. Because this is a priest of God. He knows the law. He knows the word of God. And he's standing in the presence of God when he has his doubt. And this is a sign to him of discipline. Not punishment. And it is a sign of amazing grace to him. That he stands in the presence of God and doubts. And the reason for the little jingle bells down there was for just that. But all of a sudden he's not dead. He's standing there. This is grace. It's also a sign to Israel. It's going to be the first of many, 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 many signs. Miracles, healings, all of these things are going to be signs that point to the kingdom of God, that point to Emmanuel, Yahweh coming to dwell among his people. And these are signs that point to that. When you read the Gospels and you see the signs and the miracles, They're pointing to that. But that's a sermon for another day. And I'm going to wrap up with going on with a little bit of what happened after that. It's not up there. Um, And the people were waiting for Zacharias, and they're probably standing out there saying, I haven't heard the bells ring in a while. Maybe we should give a tug on that. We should drag him back out here. But he comes out, and he's unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them. But he remained mute. And it came about that after the days of his priestly service were ended, that he went back home. So you know that it's not like the angel said, okay, you're going to be unable to speak for 35 and a half weeks. The time it takes for your wife to have this baby. She wasn't pregnant already. This is something that's forthcoming. He still has to finish his tenure of service. And so the clue that I'm talking about, the clue that I think is very important for us to see, happens in verse 20, right there at the end, which will come true at their appointed time. Going into the Greek here, there's a couple of words that translate into time. Um, kairos and chronos. The difference between the two is chronos is measurable, calendar, watch, clock, tick, 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 that kind of time. Um, When you're talking about chronos, you would say, your wife will bear a son in 35 and a half weeks. Um, What was used is kairos, which is really more like season or uh, appointed time or whatever you want to say. There is a very specific thing, a very specific boundary around this time that you don't know, but I know, and this is just what you're going to have to live with. So, which will come true after this 
kairos. You're not going to be able to talk about it until the birth of your son. So if he had gone home after his week or waited or whatever, we, we know now how this ends because, you know, Mary was there with the baby Jesus while Elizabeth was pregnant with John. We know this story. So we know it was not an indefinite kairos, but... And so what does he do? He finishes his service, and he goes on, and and you know the rest of the story past this. So what is this for us when we're made to wait? When the Lord tells us something, or there's something that we want, something that we've been praying for, and we're made to wait, almost as if God just simply wasn't talking. He's not in the prayer-answering business anymore. Or as is common, uh, a very... The $5 word for it is deism. Um, but the practical implication of that is God set everything into motion and then he just stepped away. And he's not really in the business of running the world anymore, but he set it into motion. How do you answer that? About a year and a half ago, I was on vacation in Austin, Texas, um, which I did. I haven't done it since then. Um, and not for these reasons, but um, I would go down every once in a while just to see what it felt like because I really believed in, and still do that I will be back there someday. I will be following the Lord and serving the Lord back there someday. And so about a year and a half ago, I'm there. And uh, the question is just burning inside of me. Is this the time? Is this the time? Is this the time? And I go for a walk, and this is like June, and it's so hot. It's so hot. Um, And I go for a walk, and I'm out in the country on this little farm-to-market road and just walking in the heat and just crying out saying, Is it the time? Is it the time? Is it the time? I love it here. Can I go here now? And The Lord's answer was, um, all these things that you like about this place, these really cool things, it's it's fine. But when I bring you here, it'll be for my reasons. That's it. (laughs) There wasn't a time element there. There wasn't anything. These things have to happen first, and it will be exactly six months and ten days before this. No. Doesn't work like that. (laughs) Doesn't that suck? (laughs) Uh, And you only know this in hindsight, that it's a good thing. It's, It's only by looking back and you can see what the Lord is doing with you in this kairos, that it becomes a good thing and it becomes an okay thing to have to wait for something that you may really, really want. So what is it that you're waiting for as we come to the end of this season where we talk about waiting? What is it that you really, really want? What are your hopes maybe for this coming year? Your hopes for your family or for yourself? Maybe, I don't know what it is. Um, What are your hopes for your community in this coming year? What's next for us? This is the question we want to ask. Zechariah is an incredible example to us. 
in this time. I mean, not even because of, you know, what came, that he became the father of John the Baptist, as we know, but just the fact that you go back a little bit further back and you realize that this is a man who prayed and prayed and prayed and waited for decades to hear the answer to his prayer and probably in his heart decided that it's not coming. It's not meant to be. And the, the platitudes that we give ourselves when we're disappointed with God. Um, and yet he still served faithfully. It tells us right there in the beginning, um, back at verse six, which isn't up there. Uh, and they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the requirements of the Lord. He knew what it was to wait and to lose heart, and he followed anyway. Whether or not the Kairos ever came to an end, that's an incredible example for us, especially in these times, especially in a, in a culture that is so opposed to waiting, and a culture that's now. You deserve it now. Here in a few minutes, we're going to come to the Lord's table here. We're also going to go back into worship. We're coming to the body and the blood of Jesus, who in his own person initiated the kairos of grace, who in his own person brought about the wonderful space-time reality of Yahweh tabernacling with his people, living in temples of flesh, living in the temple of our hearts, we're coming to this table, and I would ask you, I would invite you to come to this table with thanksgiving. Even if there's something that's weighing there, even if there's unanswered prayers, come to the table in thanksgiving because of the season that we live in. If you need prayer, if you would like prayer for these things, if you'd like someone to just talk to, John and Katie are going to be over in the prayer cave as we worship. Don't let... Unfulfilled expectations keep you from this. Because when we come to this, we're coming together and saying, yes, we are one. We are the body of Christ. This is our age. So don't lose heart. Come and be thankful.